the ROI is important because when we look at organizations that are cutting their offering, we have not cut our offering, which means for me personally, that I have a responsibility to our C-suite staff and to our employees to really show where we're putting those dollars and how those dollars are being used to both support Deutonians, which is what we call our employees, but also to help drive the business forward because we all want a place to come back to work to. We want that place to be more inclusive. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Intent to Impact, the ERG podcast. The show is designed to help DEI and ERG leaders build and scale impactful employee resource groups. I'm your host, Maybe Aguna, co-founder of Chezzy, and we're joined today by Roshan Kindred, Chief Diversity Officer at PagerDuty. Roshan, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me on a rainy but impactful Monday. Yes, of course. I'm excited to have you on. So to kick it off, we like to just kind of give our audience an overview of the ERGs at PagerDuty, and then if you can share your involvement in supporting them and what your role is. Okay, so we have eight current ERGs, and we're getting ready to launch our ninth ERG. So we have Dutoniense, which is our Latin community, Illuminate, which is our Asian Pacific Islander, RISE, which is our African-American or Black Caribbean ERG, Sister Duty, which supports our women, Rainbow Duty, which supports our LBGTQ, Page Able, which supports our disabled, Patriot Duty, which supports our veterans, Elevate, which supports our women in career development, and then our newest ERG is Lingo Duty, and that is going to be supporting culture seen through language. Cool. And then in your role as CDO, what is your role in supporting them? So ultimately, the primary role I play is to be an advocate of their platform and their charters and to give them visibility and their initiatives visibility within the CEO group or executive visibility but also strategic alignment. I have a great partnership with our head of our ERGs and together we really do give direction and organizational focus and goals to our ERGs, obviously respecting their own charters. So just making sure that resource of allocations is done. They're thinking about training and development and how they want to upskill and then policy development. What role do they want to play, if any, in the policy development? So I think those along with, of course, measuring the impact because we are a data-driven organization. So we want to make sure that the key metrics and objectives are being met and that they really are advancing their charter forward. So I think those four are our primary, my primary focus when I think about ERGs. And then also just to celebrate who we are as Deutonians. Ultimately, for me, that's like the baseline, but I have to say that because sometimes in our role to advocate and elevate we forget that we have to celebrate because that's what fuels us to keep moving forward. So we've got to make sure we're there and we stand in the gap for each other. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. I feel like a lot of companies are moving towards like they need to be business resources. They need to be business resources. But I think at the end of the day, they are meant to foster community. So I like that that's top of mind for you. That was actually perfect kind of segue into our next question. So like as the leader of the overall DEI and B strategy at PagerDuty, um, how are you leveraging your ERGs to accomplish those organizational goals? I know you mentioned like those four pillars, but I'm curious, like from a tactical level, how you look at your ERGs to support some of that. So, you know, They're obviously here to provide support and resources. And when I think about that, those are both financial and non-financial. So making sure that we're aligned, that their charter is going is also the direction of where the organization is going. And so how do we stay lockstep in partnership so that 
we're working backwards from the same goals. When we think about like fostering inclusivity and we're focused on leveraging global equity and belonging, like what does that look like for our environment? Because each culture brings a unique mosaic of talent and those that talent has needs. And so making sure that we are fostering an inclusive environment that is respective of our footprint. We were founded in North America, but we are a global organization. So it's important that all cultures and all identities feel like they can belong. And that is class, that is race and ethnicity, that is just showing up as a human being. So we don't want to exclude anyone. So making sure that that happens and then amplifying our voices of the ERGs, that is primal. Like when we think about opportunities for our ERG leaders to share their insights and recommendations with senior leadership, for me, that is key. And so making sure that those things take place and that the ERG really does use successes and initiatives as an example for broader communications for our efforts. So that again, it's their, the reciprocity of what we're doing. So there, there is like a cohesive um, mm-hmm. strategy that really does work backwards from our global V2 moms. And so that narrates the story of the story of what inclusivity looks like at Pager Duty specifically. Yeah. On that V2 moms conversation, so you mentioned that how important it is to make sure that your ERGs and ERG leaders are aligned to organizational goals. How are you communicating that to your ERG leaders? Like what types of guidelines are you giving them to make sure that the activities that they're running within their groups are aligned to the organizational V2 moms or the things that you're trying to push forward? So we have a symposium at the end of the year that preps them for their ERG strategy. And then we kind of narrate to them what what our V2 moms are going to position to look like. But IDNE specifically always has a work back or a look back theme or, or strategy that we're going to go into that meeting with. So despite our V2 moms, and obviously I have some insight as yeah. to <laughs> Our V2 moms, our our symposium takes place in December, so our V2 moms aren't all the way baked by the time we go into that strategy. But what we say is like, here is, these are some insights and some key learnings that you can take into your strategy session. And then we we ground and center on what is our ID&E focus? And then what is your charter's focus? Because again, your charter's focus may not be directly aligned to our V2 moms. So we want to make sure that if there's some synergy that needs to take place, we tweak it, but we also don't want to take our ERGs off course of what they set out to do because they're the crust of the change, right? So if they're so aligned that they're not invoking change, then there there becomes a disconnect as to why we have ERGs. So what we to make sure is that like our KPIs and our metrics are in place and our inputs really support the outcomes that we want to see and and then tie those outcomes back to our V2 moms and our DEI strategy. Okay. And to level set with our audience, those who might not be familiar with the verbiage of like V2 moms, can you just say what that is? So your V2 mom is your vision, your values, your mission, your objectives, and your measurements. And so think of it as when you're setting a goal, you know, all goals have to be measured. You have to think about your methods or how you're going to accomplish those goals. And then what do those outcomes look like? And what do the objectives look like? And those components really help you say, I'm going to do X and this amount of time, you're going to see this amount of performance that is going to net us this X closer to our goal or two X closer to our goal. I'm making those those figures. But 
It really paints a clear picture of how you work backwards and how you become very strategic at seeing where your own gaps are. Like if you're not measuring yourself and you don't know, hey, I think I need more capacity or we're stacked too heavy in this area. Let's put take a lead off of this and give some support to another initiative or what we started off being. Yeah, like we evolved, and so now we, as an ERG, have to elevate our own game to make sure that we are supporting our charter and how they see us moving forward. And some of those things are dynamic and, and can happen quarter over quarter. Some of those things might take a year or two years to change and evolve. And so you just want to make sure that you're always measuring the sentiment, you're measuring your progress, you're looking at your inputs, you're observing where your gaps are so you can overcome those objectives, and then you have clear outcomes. Nice. And I really love this idea of communicating that to your ERG leaders, even though you mentioned that it's not fully baked by the time you're having that symposium. I think it's really important that ERG leaders understand, like, what is our organization trying to drive towards? And then how can I support those goals within my my own community? So I love that as kind of like a best practices, especially for the folks who are looking to do that. Absolutely. I don't think anyone follows these days. And right. my belief is that I'm not following anyone blindly. I right. need to have a vision. And so when you have a vision that you can align with, you follow someone more strategically, you become a better collaborator, and you become a better innovator. And then you just mentioned like the importance of measuring success. I'm curious, how do you measure the success and effectiveness of ERGs at PagerDuty, especially in your role as CDO, knowing that you're having conversations with people in the C-suite? And then are there specific KPIs or metrics that you find particularly valuable or that your C-suite peers might found particularly valuable? So I always look at, you know, what are we working backwards from? And when I think about what works best for our ERGs, it's attendance and engagement and participation. And some of those are interchangeable, but making sure that who's facilitating this, who, who's actually, what minds are coming up with the strategy and then what support is that strategy being given by the membership? Because what usually happens is that when you sit as a lead, it's your lead and your, and your chair, and they're coming up with everything. And then it gets rolled out to the membership and you don't have that inclusive nature or the thought process of, okay, where's the diversity within our own ERG? So I measure engagement highly off of how many people from the membership are actively participating in the program development. If you only have the leads and there's some disconnect because if it's something that everybody wants to be involved in, someone should be able to play some type of a role to get to have it rolled out. When I'm talking to leaders, it's specifically about how are we getting work done? I gauge employee sentiment from our surveys. And so it's how are we getting work done? How are we efficient? How are we holding ourselves accountable? What type of tools and resources do we need to get those things done? How are you allocating your resources? What's the ROI on the program you offered? If we're talking about career development and you spent X dollars to bring in a speaker, what was the ROI? Is anyone taking back the key learnings from that speaker and applying that to their job? Are they networking with that speaker afterwards? Are they supporting that speaker's organization? So it's more than just, for our leaders, it's more than just, oh, we had a successful program, but it is, how are we able to scale that success? How are we able to operationalize that success so that it's a repeatable process? And so for me, those are the two key indicators. And the ROI is important because 
When we look at organizations that are cutting their offering, we have not cut our offering, which means for me personally, that I have have a responsibility to our C-suite staff and to our employees to really show where we're putting those dollars and how those dollars are being used to both support Deutonians, which is what we call our employees, but also to help drive the business forward because we all want a place to come back to work to. We want that place to be more inclusive. Yeah. And you, you talk about ROI. So I feel like in your role as CDO, you are the conduit between like your head of DEI and like your C-suite, your CEO, et cetera. For those folks who don't have a CDO, so they are directly communicating to the C-suite, what are those metrics that can help them prove ROI to their C-suite to help legitimize DEI, to help keep the investment within the programs? Off the top, demonstrate. Yeah. This value. Mm, in, yep. in a time where DEI, IDE, DEIB is being attacked from every corner, you have to have a business imperative. And that business imperative needs to be communicated back to the business and rooted on what your actioning is. So that's the number one thing, no matter what role you sit in. If you can't portray or articulate your value, then you're going to have a problem. So that's number one. Number two, linking DEI to the organization's success, right? So if it's an initiative that supports all identities, again, because we're a global organization, we invite everyone to be part of that process, not just the ERG's charter, but just making sure that it's strategic objectives and strategic outcomes. And then that enhances our reputation, and also contributes to the long-term sustainability of the organization. So kind of moving forward. So as the first chief diversity officer at PagerDuty, what strategies did you employ to educate and gain buy-in from your leadership team regarding the importance of DEI? So kind of going back to that conversation of legitimizing this work. I thought about this a, a couple of weeks ago as I, as I was thinking about, wow, I've been at PagerDuty for almost three years. Like, what have I done? Immediately, it was built out our DEI three-year strategy. That gave me the roadmap to really sit down and have a conversation with our leaders because we have visionaries. They wanted to understand like, okay, in this role, like how are you going to thrust us forward? How are you going to operationalize this offering? How are you going to use the allocation of dollars that's been given to you? What does research and data look like to you? What are best practices? So those are some of the foundational conversations that we had. And then it's about, okay, where are we as an organization? How far do we want to move the needle? And by how many points do we want to move the needle? And what I mean is, are we going to be like a disruptor in the marketplace and and in the culture? Are we going to spend some time trying to understand what our culture looks like? Are we looking at where we're headed and how we want to to grow our workforce? And at the end of the day, it was a combination of all three. It was all three, not at the same time, but simultaneously. But it is using the data and using research and using best practices, both internally and externally from my peers that really help navigate which lever you pull in that three-prong approach. And so for me, it was as a woman, as a Black woman, as a outspoken Black woman, I wanted to make sure that people understood and knew what my voice sounded like, that it wasn't going to be something that was Jen or Joe or Howard, but they could hear that this is Roshan, not in tone, but in action and in Mm -hmm. deed. And what my reputation within the organization was going to be 
And you know, a DEI leader is very different from a CEO. I have no desire to ever be a CEO. It's a whole lot of hats going on. Yep. I, I give all praise to every CEO out there, in particular, the one that I work for. She is an extremely inclusive and just dynamic CEO. But for a CDO, a chief diversity officer, I believe my primary role is to be accountable, available, and empathetic. Yeah. And so that was the voice that I wanted them to hear. I won't always have the right answer. I may not get it right. But if I can start off showing you who I am, then how I get things done, the research, the data, the yeah. organizational structure, those things become more palatable and easier to adopt than me just saying, okay, well, here's who I am. Love me, but I don't know where I'm going to take you. Right. So it's a combination of really showing that to our leaders on one hand with a very solid business plan and business strategy on the other, one that had an internal lens that supported our employees, an external lens that supported our brand, and an overlay of this is who I am as a leader. I love that. And I feel like you've been really authentic to yourself kind of throughout this whole journey, which I admire. I admire a lot. It has not been easy, but I think that what I admire, and thank you for that, mm -hmm. um, but what I admire are the people I work with. Like I have an amazing team. I have an amazing counterpart, Carmel Olberg, and she just, I learn from her every day, probably as much as she learns from me. And I model that for other leaders. I champion who she is. And that to me frees other people to come have inclusive conversations with me because they see the dynamics between she and I. Okay, so in a landscape where a lot of companies are divesting from DEI efforts, how do you see the role of CDO evolving? And what strategies do you employ to ensure the continued investment to diversity, equity, and inclusion at Pager Duty? So the first for me is being authentic and accountable. I think you have to land on showcasing positive outcomes and highlight success stories from those outcomes and share concrete examples of how your offering has positively impacted or performance, employee engagement, customer satisfaction, prove your purpose is what I always say. You have to prove your purpose, but you also have to back that up, right? I can tell you, I did a good job here. Here are some of the key insights, but data speaks volumes. And so you have to utilize the, the data to provide evidence of the impact that you're doing. So that is key, but you also have to be authentic to your workforce. What works for Nike doesn't work for PagerDuty. What works for PagerDuty doesn't work for Peloton. So you got you have to make sure that your brand, the culture that you're trying to build, the culture that you're aspirationally reaching for is inclusive of the culture that you exist in and that the people can see a roadmap of how you or your leadership is going to take them there. If you tell someone, I'm going to drop in and anti-racist environment and you don't have an anti-racist environment, people are going to look at you and go, well, what are you building? Because you don't even know who we are. Yeah. The same token, if you are an organization that's battling with classism and you're just talking about, oh, well, we just want to improve morale. Well, you might want to improve morale, but you might want to address some of those issues with classism head on. And so it really is being inclusive of you know, just what you're looking at and where you're, where you're going and then engage your leadership, hold your leadership accountable, foster that leadership. Leaders are people too. And yeah. leaders, 
it's an awesome responsibility to be to be a leader. You have to not only lead, have a strategy, but you have to show up. You have to give space for others. And then you have to say everything right. <laughs> like we're in a culture where leaders don't get a second chance. You, right. you say one thing wrong, it could cost you your role. So for me, I always look at the, the engagement is part of the feedback. The engagement is part of building best practices. The engagement is hopefully someone will stop me before I, I do something wrong. I represent the company wrong, but it really, you really should encourage your leaders and your leaders should lead by example. Yeah. And so if that takes place, then I feel like organiz- adopting organizational changes become seamless. But if you don't have engaged leadership, you know, I think that that's a great place for you to start because you as a CDO alone, as a head of DEI, as a director of DEI, it is exhausting and you will not get it done alone. Yeah. I'm curious in your opinion, especially with like political backlash with, you know, the economy and where it's at right now, do you predict that the CDO position will grow, go away, or just kind of stay the same? I think if you're smart, it will grow. Yeah. If you are a smart organization, you should not be scaling back on your DEI initiatives. You have to look at your culture and yeah. what is your culture demanding and what culture are you building for? Again, we are a global organization. So if I just had a North America centric ideology, I would not be building for the pager duty that is already global, right? So I have to, my offering has to be reminiscent of what strategy my CEO is putting together because if she's on page 10 and I'm still struggling on page one, there's a disconnect there and it's going to be evident. I think if you are a smart strategic CDO in this era, you will look at what your landscape is and build for where your landscape is going. For me, and I say me and my house, we're building for global engagement and belonging. And I believe that that lends itself to all people to all identities, all circumstances, all situations. So we have room to be everything that we need to be in order to fulfill our vision. And that is to build a more equitable world. Yeah. You heard it from Roshan first, y'all. The CDO position is here to stay. Okay. I think a lot of people, when they look at DEI, they're like, oh, the results just like aren't immediate enough, right? Like when we look at organizational DEI strategy, we're talking about recruitment, we're talking about inclusive hiring practices. Those aren't things that happen overnight. So how do you balance the need for immediate impact, the long-term strategic goals of DEI at PagerDuty? So I do everything by the data. So when I think about hiring trends, we talk about this all the time. We want to have representation across all identities. Well, I look at how much is X group growing and is that growth happening at the same pace as my peers? And is that happening in the promotion strategy? If they're not, then there's work to be done there. So I think you you have to really look at it from the lens of what are you trying to create and what outcomes are you working backwards from? And then you can really see like where your strategy is going to go. I think if you are misaligned, again, alignment is key. If you're going to survive in this world the data is going to tell you how you best do that. And then you develop best practices from there. So I definitely think that, you know, the data is going to be key. Alignment is going to be key. Again, engagement with your leadership to your strategy is also key. Yeah. 
Okay. Last question for you. What advice do you have regarding the effective integration of ERGs into a company's overall DEI strategy, especially in times of change or uncertainty within the DEI landscape? Create a place where people want to show up. It's really just that simple. If you don't have a place where people feel comfortable showing up, people won't show up. They And when I say show up, I mean show up and support, show yeah. up and advocate, show up and innovate, show up and create positive change. Because you can have change. It may not always be positive. But create a place that when times are hard, people don't think about leaving. Mm-hmm. Create a place when times are changing, people want to be a part of the change and not buck the system. Create a place where people feel empowered to not only showcase who they are, but celebrate who they are, to share and ally with you with who they are, and educate those around them of what they're doing with the opportunity that they've been given to show you who they are. I think that's powerful. I think that's super powerful to create a space where people want to show up, point blank, period. <laughs> As well, <laughs> I wish it could be that simple, but yeah. And that's the way, and you know what, that's the work that, that is the work. When I think about, you know, what wakes me up in the morning and what makes me giddy, you make a choice. I I start every day with gratitude today may not for some in my world, if they were following me, they would have looked like, why is she laughing? That's not really funny, but you, you only get X amount of time on this earth. You get to choose how you live it what you do with it, how much you give back, how much you stress, how much you don't stress, the impact you create and the legacy that you are going to leave behind. I have no time for my legacy to be filled with strife. I have no time for my legacy to be filled with stress. I want joy, peace, equality, happiness, where everybody feels like I can come and help you get to where you need to go. Because where you're going maybe further than where I ever dreamed of going. And now I've gone further than I ever thought I'd be. And so we're all connected. And I just feel like if people really valued the human experience and human life with gratitude, humility, and advocacy, we'd be a very different world. You are preaching today. I think that's a perfect way to end (laughs) end the podcast. Rashad, thank you so much for being a part of Intent to Impact. Where can our audience find you? You can find me at rkindred at pagerduty.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.in.roshan or backslash Roshan Kindred. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.